kind of a, I don't know whether we're living in Seattle or Costa Rica, but boy, this uh, stationary hot front, just to, I always like to make a brief comment about the weather. As Mark Twain said, everybody complains about it, nobody does anything about it. Except for Dick Cheney and his evil weather control machine. And uh, obviously I'm going to have to wing some things tonight because I brought in the wrong file. I have my Luis Bunuel, James Joyce uh, no. <laughs> file. Which isn't gonna, that's winging it with style right there. That's not going to do me much good tonight. The Luis Bunuel review, by the way, is, uh, is from a one-year-old nation, uh, the Red Years, 1929 to 1939. Yeah, we'll talk about that some other day. But anyway, obviously the events in Egypt sort of the big international story this week uh, on the brink of uh, possibly really what's looking like a civil war almost. Uh, I don't, you know, there was a heavy violence today. Uh, we have uh, protests, counter-protests. We have all kinds of things going on, and it's uh, kind of a hard situation to read. Uh, Morrissey obviously was was elected. And this is going to, it strikes me, um, he got into some problems because Egypt had elections with very low voter turnout. People were dissatisfied with his management of the uh, the country. But um, the Obama administration is not calling this a coup yet because uh, that would require that they suspend aid, economic and military aid. And I think that that's part of the problem. Obviously, this is a quasi-pseudo-military uh, operation with a lot of factions, uh, enormous population growth over the last 20 years. And uh, really, the solution in the long term, if not the short term, is probably more economic aid and less focus on the military. Well, uh, really, the Army's sort of always a background silent partner in whatever uh, face the government has worn uh, in Egypt. There's been a military strongman in power there for so long <clears throat> under uh, Mubarak uh, and others. Uh, so in a way, the United States gets to have its cake and eat it, too, by saying it's not a coup. Although I think listening to opinion of... Uh, you know, what makes it onto the radio of uh, English-speaking Egyptians. And there's a pretty high ratio of English-speaking Egyptians, of course, and especially in Cairo because of the British colonial legacy. Yeah. Uh, English, uh, of course, an international language. Um, and you get the sense from those uh, Egyptian voices that make it onto the radio um, that, well, whatever happens, uh, as long as the army's there, it won't turn into a full-scale civil war. Um, so, yeah, it sure looks like it could turn into one, but uh, I suspect the military won't let that happen. Uh, if it comes to that, the United States can hardly afford at that point to say, well, our long-term partner, the Egyptian military, has taken over uh, the elected government uh, illegally, and therefore it's a coup, no more funding. Uh, there's no way that's going to happen. So it's, in my opinion, uh, pretty much a dead certainty that at one point or another before this year is out, we'll have a military strongman in the old temporary leader position again. Yeah, and it's interesting that one of the people that praised the overthrow of Morsi was uh, Bashir Assad of Syria. 
Uh, of course, uh, this past week, the United Nations announced that the death toll there has gone over 100,000. Uh, very interesting story today on NPR about the uh, wretched uh, refugee camps in Jordan, a country that can hardly afford hundreds of thousands of refugees. Well, think about, uh, for a second, um, how many refugees Jordan has been forced to accept from all of the countries that border it. Every single country that borders it has refugees in Jordan. Yeah, and there's essentially violence going on everywhere. Uh, I haven't heard much uh, from McCain and uh, Lindsey Graham, the dynamic duo, about intervention in Syria uh, lately because I think they finally realized that the region's a powder keg. And hey, even John McCain has shut up about it, and he's, you know, crazy stupid about starting something there. What, he found his space helmet finally? Yeah, well, I think to go there, you you were away that week, but to go there uh, on Memorial Day yeah. and call for an American war in Syria, I mean, there aren't enough American dead already to remember for you? Right. And, you want more? And, of course, the problems that America is still having in Afghanistan are well known. Uh, Iraq, by the way, has had sectarian violence uh, in the highest levels since uh, 2007 in recent months. I believe in the last couple of months, more than 2,000 people have died in Iraq. Uh, this is to say nothing of what's going on in northern Africa and uh, Libya and Algeria. So uh, Israel has been quiescent lately as well, it seems. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Obama administration is sort of... Uh, to paraphrase John Adams regarding the American Revolutionary War... One-third of the country was for the British. One-third was for the revolution. And the other third were waiting to see which side won. So who knows what's going to happen, but it strikes me that protests, counter-protests, and all the factionalism in Egypt makes this a very difficult situation. And uh, it's uh, hard to say how the United States is really going to call shots from here on out. Well, it's interesting, too, how the uh, initial buzz in the Western media over the uh, proliferation of uh, so-called social media oh, yeah. and their mm -hmm. importance in triggering uh, these mass uh, events, uh, the large-scale demonstrations in Tahrir Square and so forth, back way back in the golden days, which seems like a hazy glow now of what they used to call the Arab Spring, which is now, what, a year and a half, two years ago? Yeah, and of course the... Um, so social media may have uh, started things rolling, but what does it do for us now? Right, and of course that's part of the glorification of social media, which I think is a larger fraud here at home. And of course in recent weeks we've found out uh, what these corporations are up to. Interesting to note, by the way, that Nook, uh, the uh, company uh, owned by Barnes & Noble, is really struggling so that Amazon is uh, beginning to create a monopoly with the Kindle. Uh, the fact that three or four corporations are basically dominating the whole picture in the realm of social media, quote-unquote, I don't think is a good thing for anybody. And it's interesting how there have even been some rumblings regarding free trade um, issues uh, with countries in Western Europe regarding NSA stuff, uh, uh, more revelations about the NSA bugging 
Yeah, Brazil has Brussels raised uh, concern and other diplomatic it. meetings. So, uh, although I think really, again, every country scrutinizes to some extent or another, and always has the communications of the people who live in that country. Yes, it's just the way the world is. Uh, remember back in the days of party lines? Oh, yeah. Some listeners out there may be uh, old enough to remember those where households would share a line. There's a great scene in a Woody Allen movie, Radio Days, where the teenage sister is always listening when the neighbors are on the phone. <laughs> what about her uterus? Oh, she's got it having a cyst removed. Stop listening into my calls. Uh, or the glory days of Green Acres, you know, with uh, <laughs> Mr. Haney and... Uh, Oliva. <laughs> right. So Maria's got to go up a telephone pole. It's... In a way, it's human nature, and I'm sure Freud has written you know, thousands of pages on this subject, as several other philosophers have. It's human nature to prick up your ears when you hear murmurings. Yeah. And uh, we should hardly be surprised, uh, although you know, I'm not endorsing it or enthusiastically saying, oh, that's great, it's, it should be done. Whether we think it should be done or not, it's going to be done. Well, in gossip cells. Exactly. So uh, the spicier, the better. In fact, the... Uh, Elliot Spitzer might want to spice it up at one point as he runs for New York City Comptroller, uh, although uh, they were just talking in NPR how he's cleansed uh, the Google search engine by accomplishing some other things besides uh, trafficking with prostitutes uh, yeah. in the interim. Uh, so well, he was always a good policy guy, and I think that the interesting thing about him, he was actually one of the genuine good guys preceding the financial right. crisis in terms of... Uh, some uh, lawsuits and legal proceedings that he took against financial institutions uh, regarding uh, some of the shenanigans that they were obviously up to and uh, continue to be up to. Uh, a very good piece in a recent edition of the London Review of Books about the extent of the global economic crisis regarding the big banks. And uh, while the jobs numbers, of course, plug along, we had a report out this weekend, and unfortunately, I left that file at home. Uh, hopefully, the CIA isn't uh, rummaging through it at the moment, but uh, I kind of doubt it. Um, I did want to mention, by the way, that the uh, double issue, the July 8th, July, uh, July 15th edition of The Nation is particularly good. Uh, this is one of the... One of those great issues where almost every single story is a very interesting. They even have a book review of a uh, um, analysis of the Roberts Supreme Court at the end of the edition. But uh, there's some great stuff in here about uh, the debate uh, continuing regarding the surveillance. Uh, the end of privacy is is the cover story. And there are some very good articles in here by uh, <clears throat> uh, Jerron Lanier, uh, Peter Moss, and others. I did want to mention specifically the uh, Eric Alterman column regarding the uh, recent trial of uh, Rios Mont, Mont in uh, Guatemala. Uh, of course, this is an embarrassing... Uh, record of America's uh, foreign policy in Central America. And it's interesting that when he came into power 
in a uh, a coup <laughs> in May, a March of uh, 1982. The U.S. ambassador at the time, Frederick Chapin, uh, serving under Ronald Reagan. As Alderman writes, perhaps naively, perhaps cynically, welcomed the event with the words, the Guatemalan government has come out of the darkness and into the light. Shortly thereafter, George Schultz, Secretary of State, believed that the Rios Montt regime, quote, helped to prevent an extremist takeover. Most enthusiastic of all, of course, was President Reagan. He judged Rios Montt to be, quote, totally dedicated to democracy, unquote, and a man of great personality and commitment. Unquote. Oh, Ronald Reagan's a great judge of character. Uh, however, uh, the progressives Alan Nairn in 1986 pointed out in an arms deal that they had, by the way, Guatemalan's uh, economic and military aid was suspended uh, under Jimmy Carter due to human rights violations this was uh, a robust tradition of human rights violation in El Salvador. Yeah. Going back some decades uh, before Carter. I mean, that's what Carter's responding to. And, of course, it was the Guatemalan coup in 1953 that inspired the CIA to believe that it could manage uh, the affairs of Iran. Mm -hmm. How ironic that Iran is beginning to look more peaceful than the neighbors in the region. Well, of course, Guatemala had the United Fruit Company to look out for its interests. Thank you, Dulles Brothers. Iran uh, had no such corporate minglings at that point. So anyway, in 1986, uh, as Alan Nairn reported in the uh, Progressive, he noted that the Reagan administration quietly approved a pair of transactions worth $40 million to supply the Guatemalan Air Force with two transport jets and eight T-37 trainers. A 1999 U.N. investigative body known as the Historical Clarification Commission reported that Guatemala's military and paramilitary forces were responsible for 93% of the 42,275 cases of people who, in the words of human rights activist Arianari, were murdered, disappeared, raped, or tortured, and that that number covered little more than 20% of the estimated victims. President Clinton traveled there and apologized for the U.S. role in these crimes. But as Alterman notes, but what I find interesting is how little the act of helping to engender and then justify the genocide has mattered to the reputation of the former U.S. officials who helped it along. Go Ronald Reagan. Uh, uh, certainly an embarrassing um, situation. Uh, Rios Mott was technically, they vacated the sentence while fi finding him guilty. A uh, very sorry history in America's tangled web of historical shenanigans yeah to put it mildly there uh speaking of shenanigans of course uh there's no end to the uh peril to the country that the uh so-called citizens united decision uh has suggested and on today's uh below the fold on today's 
New York Times is an article by Brian Stelter. Campaign ad cash lures buyers <coughs> to swing state TV stations. This pretty simple article uh, writes in rather large uh, characters the feeding frenzy that elections have become. If you ever had any faith in the American electoral process before, well, it can only be eroded at this point. I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs here. Uh, when All Britain, the, ma the media company that owns Politico, uh, put uh, its seven television stations up for sale this spring, analysts quickly singled out one as the most attractive. WJLA, the company's ABC-affiliated station in Washington, D.C. It is the biggest of the bunch, the best known and perhaps most important, a magnet for political spending. WJLA took in $33 million in election-related and issue advocacy advertising last year. Only three stations in the United States earned more for political ads, and two of those were also in Washington. That's because the station signals reach citizens in a crucial battleground state, Virginia, as well as the political power brokers in the nation's capital. If All Britain were to sell WJLA by itself, it could fetch 30, $300 million. Well, I'm not sure that the political power brokers in Washington, D.C. are that uh, much influenced by the advertising. Uh, they don't need to be influenced by the advertising. They're influenced directly by the funding of their campaigns by those who are also paying for advertising. So that's kind of an absurd detail. But when you think about the fact that a media concern, a conglomeration called Al Britain, that owns, among other things, Politico. Politico is a political action group, an advocacy, a concerns, uh, issues concern group, uh, owns seven television stations and is selling the most lucrative one. This is just free money for those who own broadcasting 33 million dollars in one year and that's simply one stream of revenue for wjla of course they've got many others as well no doubt uh but now uh it's just a uh, elections are simply a for-profit business that's really all they are at this point uh i don't see how it really could be seen otherwise um and another a consequence of this is, of fact, of course, the fact that we're going to have even greater concentration of media ownership. And that's been a problem for years. Uh, there's been a number of books written about it. Eric Bagdikian's Media Monopoly uh, back in the 80s, uh, late 70s, uh, pointed this out. And, and nowadays it's, I think we're down to like, what, seven major international concerns that own like 95% of the media. Yeah, and of course, there's been an amazing consolidation in the book publishing industry as well in recent years uh, due to the, um, shall we say, in, inability of uh, published books to uh, successfully <laughs> make enough money since everybody's downloading well, things now. Well, the whole ebook thing is sort of under, the, it's the publishing industry trying to get on board with the latest trend, but it's sort of cutting its own leg off to jump in and swim to, to safety. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't really make any sense. Uh, well, when I hear a proposal to blow the Internet up and start all over again, I'm you know, in favor of it because <laughs> I think that's what we need to do. Uh, I don't think you're going to hear any politicians recommending that. Speaking of brain-damaged politicians, I noticed that Rick Perry has announced that he's not going to run for re-election, fueling speculation that he's going to be running for president again. Or he's just going to go uh, get his uh, hands dirty at the pig farm. 
if he can figure out which three uh, government agencies he wants to eliminate. Um, but uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I had a teaser at the end of a show regarding pink slime, which um, oh. comes from Texas. So I figured <laughs> Rick Perry, pink slime. It kinda, sure, it's a natural segue. <laughs> kind of goes together. I don't know if uh, <clears throat> any local uh, Texas uh, ice cream parlors have a <laughs> have a cold dish called pink slime. Well, the pink ice cream in Texas Neapolitan ice cream is pink slime. <laughs> if that's not true, just go ahead and say it is anyway. And but, of course, this made the news Texas because it turned out that this was uh, being served in school lunches uh, around the country. Mm -hmm. The maker of pink slime, a low-cost blend of ammonia-treated bits of leftover meat. Suspended operations at three of four plants on Monday. This is dated the 20... Before you go any further, read that brief description again of Pink Slime. Um, a low-cost blend of ammonia-treated bits of leftover meat. Mm, ammonia-treated bits. <laughs> uh, this dated the 27th of uh, <clears throat> March, uh, 2012. Um uh, Corporate officials announced Greg uh, Latch, which is a great name, the director of food safety and quality assurances for Beef Products Incorporated. I mean, this story has just got uh, words that are incredible. It says the company suspended operations in Amarillo, Texas, Garden City, Kansas, and Waterloo, Iowa. The plant in uh, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, will continue to operate. Quote, we feel like when people can start to understand the truth and reality, then our business will come back, Mr. Lech said. Federal regulators say that the product meets food safety standards. Which have declined, obviously, <laughs> in recent years. pretty scary. But critics say it could be called unsafe and is an unappetizing example of industrialized food production. It has been used for years, but hundreds of thousands of people recently signed an online petition seeking its removal from public schools. The Department of Agriculture decided to allow school districts to stop using it this month, and some retail chains have pulled products containing it from their shelves. Well, I mention this all because <clears throat> Congress is back. They're back in action. I think they've... Oozing a trail of pink slime behind them. <laughs> they've been on their 4th of July vacation. Uh, and, uh, of course, they didn't pass an agriculture bill uh, a couple of weeks ago due to the food stamps hang-up that the House of Representatives has. So it will be very interesting to see if the uh, pink slime product um, being manufactured still in Dakota Dune, South Dakota, can continue. But now you know what it is. Mm-mm-mm. Well, another thing that'll make you feel safe in a world of ammonia-treated bits <laughs> is uh, kind of a surprising response by the insurance industry of all people you'd never expect to be rescued by them but perhaps logic and sanity uh, can be uh, achieved through a circuitous route after all uh, as uh, a response to the uh, horrifying shootings of small children in newton connecticut 
uh, seven states enacted laws permitting teachers or administrators to carry guns in schools. Stephen Yacino writes, and again, today's New York Times uh, article, schools seeking to arm employees hit hurdle on insurance. Uh, three of these measures uh, in Kansas, South Dakota, and Tennessee have already taken effect. Uh, however, some insurance handlers like EMC insurance companies in uh, Kansas uh, have responded with a message that we will no longer insure this school district if staff are allowed to carry guns. Uh, why would they say that? Well, because in an industry driven entirely by statistics and probability profiles, uh, the insurance industry knows very well that uh, the more guns there are, the more likely uh, there is uh, going to be a mishap with a gun. Indeed. Uh, even if it's uh, you know, a focused uh, teacher who's a sharpshooter with a dead-eye uh, uh, approach to uh, his craft as not just a teacher but a shooter, uh, takes down the uh, heavily armed perpetrator in the hallway, uh, a book, bullet ricochets, a small child is killed, and now uh, an insurance company's on the line. So uh, if the insurance companies uh, can convince state governments that this is not a feasible approach to uh, making schools gun-free and safe. Well, no, gun-free, forget it, because the NRA doesn't want that, and they generally get what they want. No, they um, don't want the schools to be, uh, they want them to be education-free as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, we're already working on in the great state of Michigan by uh, so badly funding the schools. Uh, it's another topic for another time. Uh, now that I no longer wear that hat, I'm free to uh, attack and abuse the state of education in the state of Michigan. Uh, I've recently retired from a 15-year career as a high school teacher. But uh, what a breath of sanity is here to see that the insurance companies are going to say, hey, you know what, you're going to arm teachers. We're not going to insure you. Well, and of course, the uh, featured uh, principal or whoever that fellow is there in the photograph. Yeah, Texan. Yeah, he... Uh, Boast. David Thwiat. He boasts that there haven't been any. Yeah, and his district has had no gun-related accidents since starting to arm employees. I want to know how many they had before they started to arm employees. Well, the thing is, is that most school schools don't have these incidents. Exactly. That's the point. Um, you know, the, obviously, the, they hype certain events, but it is interesting to note that some of these recent mass shootings have been perpetrated by... Characters wearing b body armor, mm -hmm. bulletproof uh, material that, the, of course, the NRA is also promoting as a safety product. Um, let's recall that uh, the, the fellow in Newton, he shot himself. <laughs> I seem to remember. Yep. Uh, the guy in Aurora, Colorado, dropped the weapon. So even qualified marksmen didn't shoot him. So, uh, and I, I, I like to point out that the, I always hear the, uh, the, the claim that uh, while well, these incidents always happen in gun-free zones, well, what about the shooting at Fort Hood, Texas? Right. That's probably one of the most heavily armed places in the United States of America. It's a major military base. Surely someone was equipped. So where was, uh, where was the cavalry? I mean, I understand there's a new Lone Ranger movie out, but uh, where were the Lone Rangers in the state of Texas? Their baseball team's called the Rangers. <laughs> I'd reckon to bet there's a couple of Rangers on the military base. Where were they? Well, 
we never hear the counterfactual arguments to these uh, silly proposals that the NRA is pursuing, and it is troubling, as I noted just a, a week ago, that so thus far this year, America's response to uh, uh, the shootings in, at uh, New Newtown, Connecticut, the Aurora shooting last year at the movie theater, has been to uh, weaken gun laws, not strengthen them, uh, in uh, almost a three-to-one ratio. Well, very troubling. And, of course, uh, I noticed that Nicholas Kristof, in fact, I brought his, I meant to bring his column in, but he had a column this past week. Uh, apparently, he's been either channeling gray matters or tuning in, uh, in which I've pointed out that the United States has spent about $8 trillion on the national security bureaucracy uh, since 9-11 to bolster our national security, quote-unquote, against terrorism, but that the real terrorism are the gun deaths every year, that this averages about eight a day in the United States and obviously, there are some days that are even more deadly. More grisly, indeed. And look at this uh, this crash, by the way, in, uh, at the uh, Canadian border uh, with, uh, with the oh, United the States. Quebec. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Well, it'll be used by those who want to rush through with the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> They'll say, look, this is, this is, it's dangerous to transport... Uh, oil and, and uh, railroad cars well we don't know all the facts but uh i suspect that oil pipelines are going to be susceptible to uh spills well and terror attacks problems and yeah. um people in runaway trucks maybe just trafficking in those deadly toxic chemicals uh, should be uh stepped away from maybe we should have you know, have a more progressive energy policy. Oh, right. We don't have an energy policy in this country. Not one that's moving forward with any alacrity, but that's another story. Anyway, we definitely would like to thank Tex Mannheim for engineering this evening. You can always hear him on Saturday mornings, uh, either doing the uh, Bluegrass show or uh, Bill Monroe for breakfast or the Down Home show on Saturday afternoons, two of WCBN-FM Ann Arbor's finest shows. In my opinion, Tex has so many esoteric contributions to make to these musical genres. Uh, trust me, this is not LSD. Every experience is a learning experience, Danny. And, of course, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up next on this very same frequency. So stay tuned for that. Henry Thomas in the background doing The Fox and the Hounds. He's performing that, uh, playing guitar and blowing through the penny whistle in between lyrical verses there. All that telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening. 
for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta blues and early urban blues, performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. Henry Thomas uh, raised mostly in the 19th century and uh, cut his chaps performing at country square dances for the white folks in Texas and 